Welcome to the One Hope Church Podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. It is good to see you again. We are getting closer and closer to the big day. And and I have talked to people. I don't know if that's you or maybe you're watching online and you feel like, I can't believe it's a week away. I've got so much to do. Listen, just good luck to you this week. It's going to be great no matter what. No matter what you get done, don't get done. It's just a great season. I'm glad we get to do it together. It was a few years ago um, when I was the student pastor here at One Hope. I've gotten a little older since then, but it it was a few years ago I was a student pastor, and when I was a student pastor, every year, well, most of the years I was a student pastor, we would take a trip on spring break as a youth ministry to Montego Bay, Jamaica. Now, it wasn't just for fun and good weather and the the water and the—we go and we had a partner with a school there school that we developed a relationship with and we loved going there every year every year we would have different tasks that we would have to do like the very first time we went the school was just starting to to try and develop and they had this piece of property that honestly it wasn't great and outside where the kids were supposed to play it was just really filled with rocks and there wasn't a whole lot of grass so every day literally for hours just picking rocks, picking rocks, picking rocks. And it was great because the next year we came, we actually saw grass growing up and the kids had a place to play. We would um, build playground equipment. We would build, we put fencing around the property. It was next to the road and so we built this like concrete wall up so, that, so if there's you know, any dangers and stuff. We would paint every year. This is what we did on our trips. Well, one year when I was just... Like, just being a part of the team, just doing my part. A little boy that was a neighbor to this little school, he called me over. He's kind of motioned for me to come. And I walked over, and he walked up to me, and he gave me this simple shell that he had. Now, when he gave it to me, I thought, man, this is really sweet. You know, cute little Jamaican boy, and he, he just, he just he kind of handed it to me, his little hand. I was like, oh, that's sweet. That's cool. But honestly, it, it didn't mean that much. It was just, okay, neat shell. Well, I walked away and continued that day, just doing my part and being part of the team, enjoying our time there. And at the end of the day, I was talking to the leader of the school. And, and we were just talking about stuff, you know, just having just random, just kind of just conversations. And I remembered, oh, the shell. So I pulled it out. I said, hey, look what the neighbor child gave me. Now, she gave me a response that I didn't expect. She said, oh, Scott, this was such a big gesture. I thought to myself, like, okay, why? And she says, Scott, that boy is very poor. That boy's a very, family's a very poor family that lives beside the school. And he could have taken that shell, and he had gone, could have gone to the side of the road where they sold some fruits or vegetables. He maybe was in town where the tourists are, and he could have sold this for maybe three or five dollars. People would have given money for it. He said, but he saw what you guys were doing this week. This was a gesture of thanksgiving. This was a gesture of honoring you guys. He gave you what he had 
So you know in that moment, right? Like Pastor Scott, all of a sudden, goes, think this goes from a shell to a cherished possession. Because this child gave me his greatest gift, and so you can come into my office at any point, and you'll see this sitting on the shelf. And I look at this shell often. I'll walk by it, and I'll stop, and I'll look at it. And I think to myself, Scott, if you're giving away the greatest gift that you have, the greatest thing you have to offer, what would that be? And maybe today, the question at the end of this would be, what is your shell? We're going to continue our conversation this Christmas. We've been talking about Christmas lights, right? If you've been here, we've been talking about how most of the time throughout the year, that we walk through our streets or the outside of our homes and it's dark and it's boring and dreary and, and then all of a sudden Christmas comes and, and you, you see these lights bursting in, in our neighborhoods and our homes. You, you, you may drive home and your drive is differently different because what was dark is now filled with light. And I think this is a powerful thing to remember, not just this year. I'm hoping even how you look at it in the future will change for you. Because every time we see those Christmas lights, my prayer is that you are reminded. Reminded about what happens when Jesus comes into this human story and begins to push back against the darkness. That you'll be reminded that every time those lights come on, the darkness has no choice but to surrender to that light. It's not an option. And so the first week, we started this conversation of light and darkness. We talked about Jesus being that light of the world that comes to this world. And we talked about the setting in which this, the Christmas story takes place. That I did not want you to forget that the setting of the Christmas story is one that is filled with sadness. It's filled with fear. It's filled with being tired and lonely and weariness. This is the setting that Jesus came into. That he met people in some of their darkest moments. That the beginning of the Christmas story is that Jesus sees us in what we're sitting in. He goes, I want my presence to come in and be with you no matter what that is. And so the first week, I remind us that Jesus comes, or Jesus came to comfort us with his love. This is the base of the Christmas story that he came to comfort us, be with us because he loves us. But the story continued. This idea of light and darkness continued. And, when, and last week we looked at a different concept or a different way of Jesus coming with the light. And we talked about his reception. That just because it was Jesus didn't mean he was received well. Just because it's who we know is Jesus didn't mean that the reception was what it was supposed to be and that oftentimes we have an invitation for Jesus to come. We have an invitation for him to come into our life but doesn't mean we give him total access to our life. 
that we are much like the people that, that had the home and Mary and Joseph come and they're like, hey, we don't have room in the guest house part, but we do have some part over here. And sometimes it's not that we completely reject Jesus, we just only give him what we have left. So we're reminded at Christmas that sometimes we can give Jesus an invitation to some of our life, but not our whole thing. We give him parts but not every part. And that Jesus came to shine his light into the parts that maybe we want to keep hidden, the parts that we want to keep covered, the parts that we don't really want to address, but maybe it's the parts that are hurting the most. And Jesus comes as the light of the world and goes, I want to point these things out. I want to show you these things. That Jesus didn't only come to comfort us in his love, with his love, he came to convict us with his love. Because I think the greatest loving thing that Jesus can do for us is to not allow us to stay the same. The greatest, most loving thing that Jesus can do is not allow us to sit where we are, but saying, I've got more for you. I want to change part of you. And so that's where we have been this Christmas season. We're going to continue today. We're going to continue this conversation, and we're not done yet with this idea of light and darkness. But in order to move on to today, I need to remind you where we were the first week when I brought John's words from John chapter 8. Do you remember what John said? He told us that Jesus was looking at the people, and he said that famous line, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness ever again. And, and, and remind you that first week, he says, I'm the light of the world. And what setting was it that, that Jesus did this? It was during the Feast of the Tabernacles. And they were all together celebrating what God had done, how he got them through the wilderness, and they got those gold bowls. You remember that? Got the gold bowls, and they put them high on the lampstands, and they put the oil in them, and they would start the fire, and it would light the whole courtyard, the whole area. And this was a big deal because they weren't used to that much light. And there is Jesus talking, going, that God you're celebrating is me. I am the light of the world. And putting those gold bowls on the lampstand was supposed to remind them. Well, that's where we were. But Jesus is not done talking about that concept. And so today, we're going to take another step forward in talking about that. And if we don't have this conversation, I think we leave out part of this idea of light and darkness. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5 today. If you've got your Bibles, you've got your phones, you can follow on the screen. It's just a short portion of Scripture. But maybe, just maybe, it's the challenge that you need today. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, stand, a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So like I said, Jesus wants to continue this conversation, but in this moment, he kind of flips it on its head. 
Because so far this Christmas, we've been talking just about Jesus and what he does. And that's obvious. The reason for all of this is about Jesus. But then in this moment, Jesus may do something that's unexpected for people. But I want you to picture this moment. In this moment that Jesus is speaking, Matthew 5, he's beginning his, uh, I'll call it, three-year focused, intense ministry season. He has just called the first two disciples. They've said yes. They're following him. And then they're going around the Galilee region, and they're beginning to heal people. Matthew chapter 4 tells us that he's healed all kinds of people with various pains. He's healed people with demon possession. He's healed people with seizures. He's healed people with disabilities. He is healing people probably by the hundreds, maybe in thousands. And it's said that people are coming from all over the place to be healed by him. And then Jesus continues his walk, and we find that he's on the side of a mountain. Now, I tell you this often because um, I, I enjoy it so much, but if you ever do get to go chance to Israel, you see this. We go up to what they call the Mount of Beatitudes, and you look over the Sea of Galilee, and it's gorgeous. And then you look to the surrounding area, and it's gorgeous. And Jesus is teaching on this side of the hill. And you have to think maybe hundreds or thousands of people have come. Because when you start healing people, people want to hear what you have to say. And so there they are listening, and Jesus begins to talk, and his teaching is going to be all about how things are going to change if you follow him. His teaching is going to be all about, hey, if you look at me, and at the time they're probably looking at me as this like rabbi that's unique, that can heal, they're wondering what's going on, who is this person? If you're going to follow him, then life is going to be different if you give yourself to me. He expects change. This is in the teaching. He expects people to live life differently than what they see every day. Jesus is looking to change the conversation, change the culture, change how people are going to live. And so right there at the beginning of this teaching, which goes Matthew 5 through 7, he says these words, You, you, you hundreds, maybe thousands of people, you, are the light of the world. And your light cannot be hidden. You need to let your light shine so that people can see the greatness of God. See, this whole time during Christmas, we've been talking about how Jesus is the light of the world shining down in these places. As, be, as I t began today, we're talking about how he came to comfort us. He came to convict us, to transform, to change us. Jesus does a work in us. He's not just coming and being absent. He's coming in to be present. He's coming in to do, to do a work in us. And as his light shines in us, can I tell you, something changes. And this is where I want to give you a word of warning. If you profess to be a follower of Jesus, allowing him to be the guide, the, the, the leader of your life, and you are not changing, you are not growing, there is something wrong. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and not grow into who he's created you to be. 
I warn you of this because this is sometimes the deal that we have religion and we don't transform into the likeness of the one that we follow and this is an issue. And so Jesus is speaking to them in this moment expecting for change to happen and I think what he's saying in this moment is whatever is in us is eventually what people will see on the outside of us. Another word of warning. That if what people see on the outside of us does not look like Jesus changing us, then we need to look at what's happening on the inside of us. So this is Jesus saying, let your light shine. Don't cover that up when you follow me. Everywhere you go, let it shine. Now, I want to date myself for a second here, because when I, when I began working at this church, I was always the youngest guy in the room. After 18 years, I'm not always the youngest guy in the room. But there's a song that I grew up with, and I hope most of you know it, that, that maybe you even knew the motions as you grew up. It's a little song called, This Little Light of Mine. And you have to excuse the singing for a moment. But the song simply went, This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And I saw someone do it. When you're a kid, you don't just sing it. What do you do? You got this little light of mine. So show me your little light here. Yeah. So this uh, uh, won't let Satan it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Won't let Satan it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Won't let Satan it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Then we go to the third verse, right? Someone's already done it in the back. Hide it under a bush. Oh no. But listen, when we're kids, that oh no is pretty powerful, isn't it? Like we wait for the oh no moment. So I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you be a kid for a second. Hide it under a bush, oh no, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bush, oh no, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bush, oh no, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine. You get the point, we let it shine, all right? As a kid, we sing this. We know this. It's almost like a culture that's built up in us as kids. That this work of Jesus in my life comes out and it's shining. And the inspiration for that song is this text. Now I think about this Matthew 5 and this children's song that most of us sang. And I think about what would that have been like in Jesus' teaching if it's in the inspiration. And so these little kids, they they wouldn't have like their finger that does this. They would have one of these. This is a gift given to me. This is um, a lamp, actually, from the time of Jesus. This is what they would have seen. That this is what, this little oil lamp, is what they would have had for light in their everyday life. This little lamp. And so Jesus wouldn't have sang to them in that moment. Maybe Jesus sang, I don't know. But he's not going to sing in that moment. But he's going to say to them, This little lamp of yours, this little lamp of yours, this is how we're going to live. 
If you're going to follow me, this is how we're going to live. You are the light of the world. And as I become more and more in you, you need to put this lamp on a stand. Remember, we've already been there with John chapter 8 when he did a big way for everybody to see. And now we've got Jesus talking about with you personally. You need to put your oil lamp on a stand for everyone in the house to see. You would never put it under a bowl. Oh no. You let that light shine because in your home you need this light. In your life you need this light. There are things that you need to do. There are things that other people need to do. You need this light. You don't cover this up. Picture Jesus, side of a mountain, looking at them. They don't have this, but they know this. You wouldn't put your oil lamp under a bowl. You need the light. People in your house need the light. People in your life need the light. So use that light. Never cover it up. It was uh, maybe four or five years ago, you're part of One Hope, you know that we took on a, um, a village in Sierra Leone called the Malai Village. If you remember, like 50 of you got 50 children from that village and, and started sponsoring them. I still have that child that I sponsor. And we did this because this little village had nothing. So we came in as a church and over a three-year period, we started giving them like, like um, seeds for their crop. We started giving them animals to grow their livestock. We helped build a community center so, so things for the community could happen, but also a church could happen in this village. Over those three years, actually, a World Hope magazine actually wrote an article about this village because it had gone from unsustainable to sustainable because of what you did. We gave them bicycles so they get to school and back. One of the things I don't know if you knew we gave was um, solar lanterns. One of the latest things we did. Each one of those kids got a solar lantern. And they got this because electricity not being something that they'd have. And, and we started sending them to school and getting them educated. And now they needed to work at night, do homework at night. They had things to do at night. And so we had access to a light. And we gave them that light. And it was life-changing. But, but let the story continue. These kids didn't just take that light and use it for themselves I began to hear stories and putting in the home at night so the whole family could have light so mom could do some things she couldn't do before dad could do some things couldn't do before brothers and sisters they all of a sudden had light they didn't have before and it changed how they went about life Right now, we are celebrating there came a light into this world that was so deeply dark. I told you the setting that, that, that Jesus came in. They needed this light. But the thing that we know is that they didn't just need that light. We need this light. But we also have to remember 
that this light isn't just for them, us. We need to be putting that light on a stand. We need to be putting that light on a stand so that not only we can experience it, but those around us can see this great light. And Jesus says, so they can see the greatness of who Jesus is. In Matthew chapter 5, I think Jesus is setting a culture. Right from the beginning, these people are getting healed. He's like, okay, if you're going to come around me, you're going to listen to me. Understand that this is going to be my culture. You're going to change aspects of your life, how you're going to go about it. One of the things is you're going to be a light in the world. You are going to be the way that people see the greatness of God. That you're coming to me right now to learn about who God is, but I'm telling you, you are going to be where people are going to learn the greatness of God. This is how this is going to work. I don't think, honestly, it's the greatest plan in the world, but it's Jesus' plan because I don't think I'm always great at that, but that's why he challenges us. Let the light of me that's changing who you are Shine, and we are going to do this together. Jesus is setting a culture from the very beginning of how this is going to work. And the amazing thing is, is that message from that day is no different than the message today. It's amazing to me that a message that could be spoken couple thousand years ago to those people is the exact same message that you and I have to hear today. Because I don't know how you look at the world right now. Some people, I hear it just, you're discouraged by what's around you. It angers you what you experience every day. For many people, you see darkness, and it, it, it's, it's, it's a never-ending view. It, it just, no end of sight of all the darkness that's around you. And if that's you, I want to remind you of something today. That light always shines the brightest in the darkest places. Sometimes we forget when all we see is darkness around us, we forget that light always shines the brightest in the darkest places. And because of that, maybe I can flip our perspective right now. That if light shines the brightest in the darkest circumstances, then maybe today isn't supposed to be filled with doom and gloom and negativity. Maybe it's supposed to be filled with opportunistic opportunity thoughts. Maybe we should be waking up in the day, uh, in the morning, and, and not seeing like, oh my goodness, like the negatives of it. We wake up every day going, if the light shines brightest in the dark places, today is filled with opportunity. And if darkness is all around me, then maybe I need to take the challenge that Jesus is speaking to those people and speaking to me from Matthew chapter 5. 
That maybe I don't need to isolate or avoid darkness, but maybe I need to see ways that I can bring light into that darkness. That I don't need to be walking in the opposite direction, that maybe I need to be walking into these places. Because maybe the greatest opportunity we've ever had in life is right now. Maybe your greatest opportunity is today that people see Jesus in a way they've never seen before and that way is going to be through you. That every day we have a choice. Do I hide what Jesus has done in my life or do I put it on a lampstand and go, Jesus, I need you to put this in the forefront because I really want people to see who you are. I don't want to tuck this away. I don't want to put it under a bush or a bowl. I want to put it on a lampstand because people desperately need to see who you are, what you've done in me, that you can do it in them. We have a choice every single day how we're going to live life. See, I think Jesus challenges us. And if you are one of those people that says, I'll take that challenge, I'll take that challenge to let my life be on a stand so people can see his, his greatness. Then the most critical question that you should be asking right now is, Scott, okay, what does being light of the world look like? What does being light of the world look like? Because this is a concept but practically every day, what does this look like? And I'll just tell you, this is where I do want to get very practical. This is where I do not want to be abstract or theoretical. I want to speak to specific things. If you will take the challenge of Matthew chapter 5 to say, I need to be light in the darkness, that I need to understand that in the greatest amount of darkness is when the light shines the brightest. If you're willing to do that, then maybe these are some areas you need to look at. And I'll challenge you. Maybe after I give you the list that I've made, maybe you need to make your list this week. What are areas in your life that you can let the light shine? So what does being light of the world look like? I've got eight or ten of them. When you are wronged, you forgive quickly. Imagine what people see from your life when you are wronged, but you forgive quickly. Can I remind you that if Jesus is doing a real work in your life, that in, involved a deep level of forgiveness that sometimes we don't grab a hold of to the magnitude of what we've just been forgiven from. But when he has done a work in us, then it should be a pretty quick response to forgive other people. Being the light of the world means we don't hold grudges. Being the light of the world is we are not vengeful. Being the light of the world means we let people off the hook when they don't deserve to be let off the hook. Jesus is speaking in Matthew 5 and all the way through this message in Matthew 7 going, we are not going to be the same. And if people are going to see Jesus in you, they need to see forgiveness from you. What does the light of the world look like? When you're wronged, you forgive quickly. 
can I challenge you? If there's areas in your life that you're holding on to and you have not released that, let that forgiveness that's been given to you in your life be reciprocated outside of your life. Second thing I wrote for me, wrote down, is when you aren't sure about someone, you give them the benefit of the doubt. How often does this happen every day? I feel like I never experienced this. That when I'm not sure about somebody, do I automatically think something negative or do I give them the benefit of the doubt? When they do something I'm not sure about, like, I don't know, do you give them the benefit of the doubt of their intentions? I've, I've said this to you before, that we often will let ourselves off the hook because we know our intentions in life, but we won't give that to other people. We want the benefit of the doubt, but we don't give the benefit of the doubt. What would it look like when people experience you that you are always thinking the best of them until maybe they prove you wrong versus the other way around? Would the light of Jesus be experienced through you uh, because when people come to you, you've already assumed the best of them? Can I tell you, I've been burned a lot in life by living this way. I will choose to live this way. I've lived this way with you, and I've lived this with people you've never met before, and I've been burned in life. But I've told my wife, I said, Amber, I'd rather be burned by people than not live this kind of life because I think it's the better way to live. I can handle people doing me wrong I don't think I can handle living negatively, thinking negatively, treating people this way. Because I think the light of Jesus has changed how I operate. Here's the third one. I told you I've got a little list. I want to be very practical, okay? Some of you need to write this down. Is when you disagree with somebody, you talk to them rather than yell at them. I don't know how we've fallen into the trap of yelling at people versus talking to people. If anybody should be willing to have conversations, it's people that have a God who listens to us when we spout nonsense every day. Think about your life and who God is to you. I think God disagrees with me a lot, all right? Like, just, it's, I'm, I'm Pastor Scott, but I'm mostly just Scott, all right? I think the graciousness that God gets, he listens, he hears me out, he works with me. But then we get into the world and we disagree with somebody and we go attack mode. And I want to tell you, how are people supposed to see the light of Jesus while you're, while you're yelling at them? I'm really serious about this because I do think that the world is dark and getting darker. And in the middle of it, we're yelling at people versus talking to people. And I want to ask you, the next time that you yell at somebody, either face-to-face, on the phone, or online, ask yourself, did they just see Jesus through me? We are so ready to be right that we are wrong in our relationships. We're so ready to tell people where they are wrong, um, where, they're, where they're wrong, that we can't get right with them where they can see the light of Jesus through us. Can I just ask you, beg you, can we be a different kind of church? 
Can we be a different kind of Christian? Can we swallow the pride and bring some humility in to say, hey, even if I disagree with you, can we talk this out? And we may not agree in the end still. But I would rather you see Jesus in me than to see what I think you're so wrong about and to yell at you. We can share Jesus without fighting. I could go on and on about that one, right? Okay, next one. When you hurt someone, to be the, uh, they see the light in you when you own it and ask for forgiveness. Speaking of humility and pride, how do you handle when you're the one that does things wrong? Do people see the humility of Jesus because of how you say, listen, I messed up, I'm sorry. Forgive me. What do you think draws people more to Jesus? You standing your ground and explaining why you did what you did or you just saying, I get it, I hurt you and I'm sorry. Can I tell you, I experience defensiveness everywhere. I do not experience a lot of humility and I'm sorry's everywhere. And I just tend to think that's like putting it on a lampstand and going, I live differently because of what Jesus has done. Next one, when you hear people, <laughs> when you hear people talking about someone, you defend versus joining in the gossip. This is not all that irregular for me to bring up for us. I've asked you time and time again, could we be not the stereotype of the church that cuts each other? I've asked you plenty of times, can we not be the church where people feel unsafe to be vulnerable because you don't know how you're going to be talked about behind your back? I would really love to be a place when people walk in, they go, Jesus has done a work because people are not out to hurt each other here. I would love that. I would love for this place to be known that we don't talk about each other. We don't hurt each other behind their backs. We don't cut each other because of what we see. I would love to be a place where, where we hear gossip, we go, hey, let me defend the goodness of this person. Maybe, maybe there's a bigger part of the story. Maybe there's more to the story. Maybe we shouldn't be talking about this. I'm saying to you, if you walk into a conversation and do that, two things are going to happen. People are going to avoid you because they don't like that person, <laughs> right? People just avoid, but then you don't have to be gossiped around, but they'll avoid you. But two, like Jesus is a defender of us. And if we go around defending each other, that is so Christ-like. And I think people will see the light of Jesus in us. I told you this is super practical. This is not deep theoretical, theological stuff. The next one. When you are with people, do you spend more time building them up or tearing them down? I'll tell you what. You know who I want to hang out with? People that I know are going to be encouraging, not critical of me. I like to be around people who even have a word to speak to me in a critical way, but doing it in a place, a way of love. You want to be a light of the world? 
go around every day trying to encourage people. Go around trying to encourage people of who they can be, not where they've screwed up. You want to be more like Jesus, find the good in people, not the places you can be critical of. This is how we put our light on a stand for the world to see. When you know when someone is struggling, when was the last time you just stopped and prayed with them? This is an area I had to like change in my mind. Scott, I'm so quick to give advice. But you're the pastor for the love. Pray for the people. You know, like I'm so, people come for advice all the time and the first thing I need to do is stop. Can we pray about this? Maybe this is what it's like in your workplace, in your home, in your family, whatever, is when someone's struggling, you go, hey, can I take 20 seconds and pray for you? You know what this does? It reminds you and them that the wisdom you need comes from someplace greater. And when you stop and pray for someone, you put Jesus right in front of them and they see his greatness. Real quickly, on these last few, um, when you gain influence in the world, you point people to Jesus, not point them to yourself. As you grow in life and people esteem you, point people to Jesus, not yourself. Um, next one, when someone is spiritually lost, you take the time to share with them about Jesus. I'm going to push you a little more in this in t 2023. Just be prepared for this one. That we need to be sharing our story more. That I think we've gotten away from really getting into people's lives and going, I think Jesus is what you need. Can I just tell you my story? Can I tell you what he's done for me? Next one. When someone is in need, we are generous with everything we have. We've got time, we've got energy, we've got money. We've got a list of resources. When someone is in need, to put Jesus, the light of the world, on the lamp stand. We're just generous with everything we have. When we are facing difficult circumstances, we speak hope instead of despair. There is nothing that shows the work of Jesus inside of us more than when we are going through difficult situations, we speak hope rather than despair. Are you more positive or negative in life right now? How are people see, supposed to see Jesus as great when you think the world is falling apart? Jesus, I trust you with my life at church. That's what they know you're doing. And then on Monday, the world is falling apart. Jesus, I trust you. I believe you created everything. I know you see me. I know you knew me before I was in this world. I speak all these things, but on Monday, the world is falling apart. How is that showing the greatness of who Jesus is? Speak hope, even in desperate situations. Here's where I want to end today is that when you have the work of Jesus in your life, you have something to give you've never had to give before. I told you the story about the boy with the shell. He had nothing more to give than this shell. But this shell is still inspiring me today. This shell is still reminding me today. This shell is still speaking to me today to ask myself, what is the greatest thing that I have to give in life? 
And I come to the conclusion that, okay, God, I will give whatever you tell me to give, but the greatest thing I have to give is this light of Jesus that has transformed me to live it out so that other people can see it, that I will not keep it to myself. I will be the lantern that we gave away in Malai. I will be like these children who would have heard Jesus speaking, and he's talking about the lamp and going, hey, put it on a stand. This is who I'm going to be. I have a choice every single day. How am I going to live? And the choice for me is God help me to put my light on a lampstand because the world needs to change. And you've decided, whether I believe in myself or not, you've decided to use me no matter the circumstances. We started this conversation about the shepherds in the field. Can I quickly summarize their experience? They saw a light and they went and found Jesus. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 20, it says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This experience with Jesus changed who they were. And I don't think, listen, I don't think that they left just talking about amongst themselves. I think they just talked about it because of what they experienced. I think this is their story. They saw the light, they experienced the light, and they shared the light. And I want their story to be my story. I want to take the challenge that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5 that says, you are the light. Now go and show the world how great your God is. And so this Christmas season, will we be more than people that embrace the presence of Jesus? Thank Jesus for coming. May we take that and give Jesus away everywhere we go. And may the story of your life be that people see how great God is because how you have been changed by him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for coming. Thanks for being who you are. Thank you for comforting me. Thank you for transforming me. Thank you for convicting me. But God, I pray that I wouldn't just stop with me, that I pray that the light that you put in me would shine to this world. That I pray, God, that through my life, people would see the greatness of you and that I would declare it from the mountaintops. And God, I pray that would be our church. Every individual walking through the day going, how can I put my lamp on a stand so people can see how great God is? We thank you. And God, help us to walk that way. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at ouronehope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.